The following is for information purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. All opinions and views expressed by the contributors to this podcast are in a personal capacity only. They do not represent the views of Progressive Equity Research or any other organisation mentioned in this podcast. Money never sleeps, pal. So, Gareth, morning. Morning. 26th of January, nearly the end of the first month of 2024. What's been going on? Should we have a quick chat about what we've seen this week? Yeah. Okay. Well, we've had US GDP data. It's still storming. And furthermore, Treasury Secretary Yellen is quite keen to point out that despite a robust US economy, she doesn't think it's inflationary. And we should find out later today some evidence of that with the PCE inflation data, which most people seem to think is the Fed's favoured measure of inflation in the US. But what I think is clear, and we've had evidence of this week from things like the composite PMI data from Europe, UK and the US, is that the US is continuing to be the strongest major economy. Europe is weak and probably getting weaker. And dear old UK seems to be holding up better than most people fear and holding its head above water. And I think if you know, there's a there's a debate as to whether the UK has been has visited or will visit a technical recession. I think there's little doubt about the fact that the larger continental European economies have visited or certainly are about to visit possibly quite sharp downturns in their economic activity. And I think then there's our dear old friend China as the other major economy in the world as sort of what the hell's going on there? Because to my mind, at least, the picture's quite clear everywhere else. This whole issue about where we are on the inflation, that the rundown in inflation, the rate of rundown in inflation then leading to the rate of decline in interest rates, to my mind, the unknown here is what the hell's going on in China. What we've learned this week in China is that almost every day, uh, certainly there's two big measures, there's a new measure being announced by the Chinese authorities to either stimulate their economy or to directly boost their stock market. The evidence is quite clear that the people who matter in China are very concerned about both the performance of their economy and the uh, performance of their stock market. You're right. It, it is interesting. And I think you're spot on. The in the Western economy, certainly Europe and, and the States, it's a matter of trying to gauge how quickly we're, we're coming under pressure and, and how rapidly our economies are slowing down. And the central banks trying to gauge their interest rate moves to achieve that soft landing that, that we've all been hoping for. And there are varying degrees of success or failure in the different, different countries. But China's facing a structurally different problem or could be facing a, a much more structurally challenging outlook because of the demographics and the, the state of the economy and the reliance on property. So there would be, I mean, you could see a, a sort of a, a Goldilocks solution where China actually helps the West by trying to oil the, the wheels of the, of the global economy for their own purposes. Actually, that, that might be quite useful as the, the Western economies navigate this, you know, attempting to engineer the soft landing. So it might be nice to, to benefit from their, their behaviour. Of course, the politics are quite interesting here. So it's difficult to imagine the US administration 
being overtly supportive of China's plight ahead of the presidential elections in November, the relative valuation of Chinese equities is clearly becoming so extreme. Whatever you think of China, the prospects for China, the prospects for the Chinese economy, it's looking pretty hard to ignore. I've been reading some interesting, couple of interesting articles this week, both in the Telegraph, actually, not that I'm an avid reader of the Telegraph, but Tom Stevenson, the Fidelity Fund Manager, and Ab- Ambrose Evans Pritchard, who's a regular columnist in the Telegraph, both riffed on the subject of how cheap Chinese equities are in absolute terms, but also in terms of talking about the historic returns uh, over the long term from China. And you know, we, we, we kind of casually think, because we're involved in the UK equity market, and we look at the smaller stocks in the UK equity market, that the UK, UK equity, you know, nothing's cheaper than UK equities right now. Well, take a look at China, because it is incredibly cheap and incredibly detached from what's going on in the rest of the world. So I've got a little yeah. question for you here. So if you go back to 1992, when the MSCI World Index set up the China is China index and trace it to the modern day, I think I'm right in saying that the Chinese GDP has gone from something around $800 billion to $18 trillion. Can't do the maths in my head, but multiple... So like 20 times, 20, 20 times, 20 or 25 times multiplier. There you go. So it's up, say it's 20 times. Yeah. Yeah. What's that index done over that, whatever it is, 35 year period? I would guess it has returned between four and 5% a year across that time frame. Well, I've not checked these numbers, but I've been told the number is 0.46%, 46 basis points per annum over that period. And it's 15% in total. That's the return you get from investing in that stock market, which it might not be the right figures, but I think they're there or thereabouts. It's clear that investing in a, in a country's stock market is not the same thing as investing in its economy. The setup in China is so determined by the centralized powers, the Chinese Communist Party, and the political situation is such that they can determine the returns for any player in that market almost by decree. yeah, It's just such a different thing to consider or look at from an investment perspective. But yeah, on, on the, you know, one of the other things I picked up this week, I listened to a podcast, an Investor Chronicle podcast, uh, where they were interviewing Tom Slater, who's the manager of the Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust, which has been criticised for investing in China. It reduced its exposure to China. But he was talking about whatever you think of the market in China, it's a big market, it's a big economy, and it has had some real winners. And despite that, he said each of the last two years, their best performing equity in the portfolio has been a Chinese stock. That's interesting. Um, um, So, you know, I, I think from a market perspective and an economic perspective, China is an enigma that I can't get my head around. But I think it's something that deserves a lot more focus and a lot more attention. Yeah. And I think it will be interesting as, as we go through this year. And, and as you say, China is going to be quite an important sort of swing factor, both for the global economy and for, for the politics of, of a lot of regions. And as we talked about before, I'm, I'm a, a big fan of, of China's development and, and some of the things they're achieving. You're absolutely right. It's, it's far from clear that developments or improvements in their society or their, their standard of living, it's far from clear that that flows through into the equities and the potential investments. But I do think it's going to be really interesting to see how they navigate the challenges they've got around the demographics 
stocks and the, the low birth rate and the concerns around you know, potential structural deflation or, or a, a negative sort of persisting problem across the economy. And I firmly believe that they will be very effective users of technology broadly and AI in particular, but, but just general, general tech. I think the Chinese society has been extremely quick to adapt to things that the number of electric vehicles, electric scooters is extraordinary. And I think they've proven themselves very, very adept at using technology to improve productivity. And I think there could well be some real productivity gains across that society that will allow them to, to not necessarily shrug off, but certainly deal with some of these challenges quite effectively. And it might be that we in the West can learn from some of the things that they'll, they'll be doing over the next few years, because we, we might face some of the same problems further down the track. So it'll be interesting to see how that works. But you're absolutely right. That doesn't necessarily mean that that will flow through to, to benefits, even for some of the companies involved, if, if, if the, the state gets in the way or changes the the rules of the game in ways which are unhelpful for those those companies but yeah it's going to be very interesting i think both for this year and and moving forward it's supplying a deflationary boost to the rest of the world as far as it goes it's a good thing but if it creates if these difficulties that you that are clearly apparent and you run through there become structurally overwhelming a weak China politically and economically is a more dangerous China and one that we don't, you know, could become radically uncertain and provide a, a much less welcome impulse into the rest of the world. As we do go into 2024, just looking a bit closer to home, the um, the markets have had not a bad week, actually, have they? There's been some reasonably decent news around. Yeah. And the UK seems to be faring quite well and, and heading into 2024 with some some reasonably good corporate updates and, and not bad sentiment coming through. Yeah. And even just reading press, there seems to be some an increasing number of articles often sort of quoted, as, oh, you know, you'd be surprised to know, but the UK economy, you know, is forecast to be doing better than expected or to be doing quite well. And you, know, you read RNSs, companies have accommodated to and adapted to an awful lot in the last couple of years in terms of disrupted supply chains and, and spiking inflation and raw material costs. Yeah. And we had a couple of progressive clients this week and IDOX and Forterra. So they're dealing with public sector spend, which is never an easy thing to, to manage or certainly man, never easy to predict. And the um, housing market, mainly for bricks in Forterra's case. So yeah. um, so they're, they're dealing with not necessarily easy markets. So both of those have, have started the year with some reasonable updates and businesses both seem to be in, in pretty good health and, and moving forward into the into the 2024 sort of timeframe reasonably upbeat. So there's some, some good news there and hopefully more of it across the market as we hear more, more results and updates over the next few weeks. We had Weatherspoons reported a good Christmas and restated the fact that they're outperforming the industry on a month-by-month basis. And uh, Tim Martin couldn't resist the dig at the relative advantages the supermarkets have over the on-trade in the UK. But the you know, it, it's another example of I think the UK consumer adapting to the environment that it's that they've had over the last year or two, and with people like Watches of Switzerland warning, yeah. um, you know, there's this and Burberry warning, Greggs and Weatherspoons doing quite well. There's this sort of sense from the UK consumer that everybody's trading down a bit, and um, you know that's benefiting the likes of Weatherspoons. The other one that I follow is Aquis Exchange, which I think is a great business, and not mainly because it owns the Aquis Stock Exchange, which is a small part of their business. But they couldn't resist saying, and it's worth just noting as anybody interested in smaller companies should be aware, they just stated in their trading update that Aquis Stock Exchange admitted 16 new companies in 2023. Now I follow these things. I don't think I don't think I could name one of them if I'm. um, I I didn't look at the list. 
Yeah, and they said this is the most of any exchange in the UK, growth exchange in the UK for the second year running. Now, I think they must mean AIM. But in a in two years of very low non-existent IPO activity in the UK market, Aqua Stock Exchange seems to be getting its its act together. And uh, you know, if condition if and when conditions change, I think it's worth keeping an eye on that. Oh, completely. No, they've done very very well, and and hopefully both they and you know the broader markets will start to see a bit more of a something of a return to the IPO landscape as the as the year pans out. And we're, certainly people that we're talking to, I'm, I'm certainly seeing signs of that. A number of brokers are talking about potential IPOs, not men, not dozens and dozens, but the odd one, which is yep. in many cases one more than they had you know last year or during the the back end of last year. So it feels like the um, sentiment is gradually improving, and, and hopefully that will that will prove to be the case. Well, normally one would find we've just seen the uh, the merging of another two London brokers. So the consolidation, if you include Deutsche's acquisition of Numis, Librem and Pamu merging, and um, Senkos and Fincat merging earlier last year. That, that consolidation trend you would normally expect to be the sort of almost the capitulation of the idea that we'll ever see an IPO again. Uh, so uh, yeah. I think we probably should be heading in maybe not first half of 2024, but during 2024, I would not be at all surprised to see a pickup in the number of IPOs, which will be a good test. And I think it'll be for that to happen, you'd have to see a continued, the type of continued relative outperformance of smaller companies that we be, we've saw at the back end of last year yeah. moving into 2024. So Yeah, no, that'd be nice to see for lots of reasons. So yeah, fingers crossed. Good stuff. Okay. Should we uh, give it a wrap there? Let's call that quits, but no, thanks very much. Good to chat and we'll we'll speak again next week. Okay. Okay. Brought to you by Progressive Equity.